do you do, everyone? This is Adam Mauser, Mishmash Men. And to my right, I have Mr. Dustin Labar. Hello, everybody. Hello, Adam. Hello, Dustin. Good afternoon. <laughs> Good day, sir. Good day to you, sir. So uh, welcome to Mishmash Men. This is uh, the, our third real episode. We mm-hmm. had an intro. We had the first two episodes. This is episode number three. So welcome to uh, our podcast. Um, as the name implies, it's a mishmash, a hodgepodge, a plethora mm-hmm. of, uh, of subjects. And we try to keep it uh, things that we're keenly interested in because if we weren't really interested in them, it wouldn't be interesting to anybody else as we're explaining it's it. very fair. Yeah. Hopefully people enjoyed the first two episodes. I hope so. Yep. I we learned so. a lot of good stuff. We did. We learned, and uh, some of it applies. Yeah. Body slams. Yeah. Stone Cold Stunners. Um, the, uh, Trust uh, and automation. What was the uh, the move? The Montreal... The Montreal screw job. Yeah. That's, Montreal screw that's job. That's very important. <clears throat> so uh, today's episode, um, broken window fallacy. That's the, the topic, and that's what we'll call this episode. It's a little bit more than that. Uh, and if you recall, uh, several months ago on another podcast, RFTB, mm-hmm. at Tip RFTB, um, there was a, uh, a trivia contest. And one of the questions I came up with was broken window fallacy. What does it have to do with in economics and uh, policing and some other stuff? That, okay. was the, that was the question. And was that for the tiebreaker? That was the tiebreaker tie trivia breaker. question. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, that's what I wanted to do. And it's about Frederick Bastiat. And uh, we'll talk about that for the next 30 minutes or so. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So Frederick Bastiat, who has a, you know, is a Frenchman, obviously a Frenchman. Yeah. Uh, had, have you ever heard of, uh, of of this guy ever before? Never. Okay. So I'm going to be learning f- from scratch. I have no okay. idea. No worries. No worries. And and he wrote uh, the, the, the thing that he's most known for. There's really two things. Uh, his writing called The Law and uh, also this broken window fallacy. Um, but who was he? Well, he was a French statesman, economist. Uh, he was the deputy uh, deputy to the French legislature around the same time as the French Revolution. And, what, and that was around? Around 1850 18, was 1850. when he, uh, he he died shortly after uh, the law was, was put out as a book. But okay. that was a collection of writings. Okay. So he... Um, he was a, wrote a series of these essays in response to a lot of the socialist um, ideas that were getting pushed forth as they were trying to form the new French government okay. post-revolution mm-hmm. and establish. Uh, so a lot of responses to that. And he was uh, a well-read and learned man. He wrote uh, read a lot of John Locke, who's like your classic classical liberal. Uh, and when I say classical liberal, not like liberal when you think of a progressive or a Marxist or any person like that, but a classical liberal is one of like a, like a, um, uh, like a the libertarian party type person. Okay. okay. So a lot of these things, um, that he was writing in response to, uh, that became the book, the law were, uh, again, responses to that were big pushes within the, the French legislature. Mm-hmm. And he was warning everyone it will lead to commie. Eventually we're going to get to this tyrannical government. Yeah. And, um, and that's, what's going to happen. And, and that's kind of what happened anyway. Uh, it seems to be a common theme where, if you start leaning towards the socialist type of things, that that's always something that people are very, especially like even now, very leery of when you start leaning towards that, that communism and things like that follow and it never, it never works out well. No, it doesn't. In fact, um, it, it, it's a trend. It's cyclical. You can see it throughout history for sure. So he was basically, he was, he would be like 
literally like there's somebody like equivalent to him today that's banging the drum for, hey, you guys don't want it to be like this. You know, when people are like mm-hmm. saying we want things to be, you know, more socialist, he, there's people obviously on the other side of that being like, trust me, you don't want anything like that. So he would be the the mirror of somebody like that today because it's happening today where younger people are like, oh, we want it to be. We want everything to be fair, fair and yeah. redistribution of wealth and all that kind of right. stuff. Yeah. And and that's human nature. It ends up being like that. Yeah. Um, but a guy uh, ran, uh, not Rand Paul, but Ron Paul, if you've ever heard of him. Okay. Yeah, so sure. Ron Paul is kind of like probably the most outspoken uh, libertarian leaning guy okay. that we've had in the past 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I first saw him on the show called the Morton Downey show, Morton Downey Jr. Show back in the late eighties, which was just a nut crazy show, just okay. crazy show. Um, it was back when the, the talk show format was kind of like the Phil Donahue, but just on steroids. Okay. Kind of like that's when Oprah was starting to get big, but Norton Downey Jr. was kind of the late at night kind of, no rules. Okay. Kind of shout fest. Like a but Jerry Springer style? It was not quite Jerry Springer. Okay. So it's somewhere in between. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. In the spectrum of quote unquote talk shows. Gotcha. But uh, Ron, I remember seeing, I distinctly remember this, uh, seeing Ron Paul and I thought, man, that guy's, he's insane. <laughs> but then like now I'm like, okay, everything he predicted uh-huh. is spot on. Uh-huh. And uh, so a lot of respect now I've grown into it. Uh, and it's not just because my opinions change. It's just you become better informed about. Sure. And you see, like, things that that people like Frederick Bastiat warn of, they're right. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They turn out to be right. Yeah. So some axioms. Um, uh, so an axiom is something that you presuppose. There's some base. I have some base things that I I am going into a new subject. But there are some things that I don't question. Okay. So uh, axiom is, uh, or, or you presuppose these things. Okay. Uh, like, you know, for instance, I presuppose that there is truth. And that's a, a safe axiom for most people anyway. Okay. Um, for those that disagree, though, is my statement true or false? Yeah. <laughs> you can't determine that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so axiomatic from Frederick Bastiat is that life, liberty, and property are blessings and rights from God. Okay. Life, liberty, and property. So, um you know that um, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness sure. clause that's in the Declaration of Independence. Okay. It was kind of tweaked. That was the original. Okay. Um, and then there was uh, some changes made because uh, of the whole slave issue. Yeah. And they didn't. The founders did not want uh, property to also include people. Yes. So the pursuit of happiness was substituted as that. So that that one word is in there that carried a little bit of extra baggage they did not want in it. Gotcha. Uh, but those are rights bestowed by God and not by the government. Gotcha. The government does not bestow your right to life, liberty, or property. Gotcha. At all. Um, again, these are natural law type axioms. Um, these are uh, things that uh, you you assume that there is a natural law that those things uh, are they are for everyone. Are there are there people or? I know what you're saying about the axioms, but are there people that would disagree with that statement? Like yes. in dictatorships kind of situations? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. They absolutely do disagree with that. And um, because, and, and it's assumed sometimes just culturally mm-hmm. that, oh, the government says, for instance, in, our, in today's world, the Second Amendment. Well, the Second Amendment guarantees my right to bear arms. Right. No. The Second Amendment recognizes your absolute right to be able to defend, defend your life, yourself. liberty, and property. Understood. So right. 
So that the Second Amendment actually says it's a it's a body of negative liberties, and it says we the people, you and me, mm-hmm. and everybody else in this nation, we restrict Congress from infringing upon our gotcha. rights, including the right to bear arms. Gotcha, makes sense. So, um, so those life, liberty, and, and property mm-hmm. they preexist law. Okay, that's assumption number one, axiom number one. That men institute government. So men gather together. And when I say men, I mean the general neutral version of men. Yep. Men gather together and they form governments. And those governments institute laws that protect life, liberty, and property. Understood. That's why you have government. That's why you have laws. That justice has precise limits. Mm-hmm. And philanthropy does not have precise limits. Okay. So more on that in a bit. Well, if you just think about the welfare state. Sure. Um, the welfare state. The, the purpose of that is to benefit others, the welfare of others. Mm-hmm. That's philanthropy. Right. So there's that, that area is not clearly defined. And because of that, you get into trouble with legal plunder. We'll talk about that later. Okay. In a natural law, last axiom that I'll, I'll hit up, it's individualistic. Okay. So you have those same natural rights as I have. Mm-hmm. And in that natural law of, of life, liberty, and property. And that I can't violate yours. I can't take your stuff. Right. You can't take mine. You're not going to shoot me dead. Right. Uh, otherwise, something bad's going right. to happen. And that's why, like, murder is illegal. Yes. Yes. That, that's a law to protect your or our, those those three axioms that you described earlier. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Got it. I'm learning a lot right now. Oh, good. I am learning a lot. I hope right this now. is interesting I'm, enough. I'm, I'm riveted. Okay. I'm riveted. All right. And hopefully you listeners out there... And if you're listening and you're smarter than me, just deal with my stupid questions, which is what it is. No, please. I, li- I enjoy yeah. your questions. Yeah. They help uh, move it along. All right. So another axiom that man is fallible, mm-hmm. that we can, we can be bad people. Sure. So, um, so anyway, we, we create these governments and we create laws that protect life, liberty. The man is also fallible. So it stands to reason that um, a bad person could be in government. Mm-hmm. And bad, a group of bad people can create laws that are essentially legal plunder. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great, and when I say plunder, I don't mean just stealing money, but stealing your life mm-hmm. and your liberty. So it's avoiding those, um, subverting those natural law, natural right. rights. Uh, the quintessential example of this is slavery. Slavery was legal in the United States. Right. Uh, did that make it right? I say no. Right. I would argue no. Yeah, and I, show, yeah. I think you would too. Yeah. I also say no, just to be clear. <laughs> I don't want anybody to be like, Dusty never said no. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, move on it. <laughs> so, so, let, so let it be written. So, so the, you, would, um, you could violate those natural rights of others, either, either individuals or a group of individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, but always focus on the individual when you're talking about these rights because it's uh, very clear to understand and it can be applied to the to a larger group, but you don't want to protect a group because then you're going to start voiding an individual's natural Sure, rights. makes sense. Um, through either greed or false philanthropy. That's that, like, that welfare state. Gotcha. If you're going to take my money and give it to somebody else because you want to help them, mm-hmm. well, that's legal plunder. Sure. It doesn't make it right. Right. Uh, and, but it could be legal. <sighs> makes sense. So uh, to review, why do we institute government? Why do we institute government to protect our 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 three natural laws? Yes. Yep. I didn't know there was gonna be quizzes. Yeah, I probably that's probably not fair. <laughs> no, actually, I like it. 
Okay. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll roll with it. Then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why do we need to protect them, our natural rights? Can I guess? Yeah. Did you already tell me? Oh, I told you, but guess again. Why do we need to protect them? Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm not sure why we need... Well, obviously, besides the fact that I have those God-given rights or... or yeah, they're God-given rights. Because there's bad people. Right. Okay, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Because there's people yeah. that would infringe upon them. Right. Yes. There's, and, and they could be in positions of power. Right. That we have, we put into power, and then now yeah. they're going to rob us blind. Which I assume is why impeachment exists. Impeachment like exists, that. and why we vote, and we have, mm-hmm. uh, in some cases, term limits. And if we have uh, bad men in government, you're going to have this legalized plunder, yeah. which is which is not good. Do you think it's... Okay, so... T- so I think we'll both agree that there are probably most likely some bad people in the government of America. Without a doubt. Okay. There's always been bad. So, so it is, it seems like it's very challenging to impeach somebody. Well, I guess impeachment is bringing charges against, not necessarily removing from office. Right. So, but it seems very difficult to remove people from office. It's not like the easiest thing. It seems like it would be an easier thing. Does that, does that make sense? It does. Uh, Let me say it back in, in another way. So it's incredibly challenging to actually impeach a an office holder. Yeah. And and I think by design they they set it up that way because what the founders didn't want was a um a resentful party in power yeah. that now just goes and gets the next guy in after them. Yeah, I got you. I understand what you're saying. So and if you think of impeachment, you 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 hit on something there. Impeachment is not necessarily like a conviction if you will. It's like a grand jury. Right. So a grand jury doesn't really, they don't put you in jail. Mm-hmm. But if a grand jury convenes and, okay, well, we're going to bring charges, yeah. that grand jury decides that. And that's what the House's responsibility is. So let me ask you this. And this may be getting too deep or too, like, um, deciding somebody's, like, any, I, let me just ask it and you don't have to answer if you don't want to. I think it's pretty clear that somebody like uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband um, is getting some kind of insider trading information. It could probably be proved pretty easily. And because he is statistically better at stock market trading than Warren Buffett, statistically. Than anybody that's ever walked and, and so, and, and so when, when she was asked, she was like, why would you even ask me that question? That's ridiculous. Like, well, we're asking that question because you're worth $200 million and you work in a job that you make $100,000 a year. Right. So, you know, my brain says, well, this should be pretty, because they get people all the time. They're just like, well, you just insider, tri- you did, you did it. You're going to prison, right? And now, like but, uh, Martha Stewart, yeah. Like they find it. So, it's almost like it's like people are like worried about it, but they're clearly doing it. I mean, clearly. And then, but this is what I mean when I'm saying like that we should shouldn't somebody do something about it at least to limit people from doing it because that doesn't seem fair. You should have the same the same ability to make money in the stock market that I have with no knowledge of laws being made or anything like that. Right. So. Um, that seems like an impeachable offense to me to, to be like, I'm giving you or your, me or my husband or my wife, the ability to, Hey, Hey, this is, this law is going to pass and this company is going to do really good. And this company is going to do really bad. Um, so that, that's kind of where my question stem from is, is it seems really difficult like that people won't even try. It's like, eh, we'll just let it go. Yeah, it, it, it is difficult. And I think we are hamstrung by the current state of a free press. I'll put it that way. Okay. So, so you would think uh, we're we're loosely associated with the topic, but this is a great discussion. We we have been conditioned, I think, um, and I don't think by a nefarious group. 
that's made us this way. Mm-hmm. I think, but it's certainly happened because that's the tendency, human nature. You you tend to uh, gravitate to this um, authority mm-hmm. that says, well, the authority says this, right? And and people they cry out for an authority, whether they want to admit it or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah I understand. And this faulty understanding of what the uh, what our constitution is mm-hmm. it's just, it's literally constrains a government mm-hmm. and and the and it, the states have to conform to a lot of those same constraints right one of which is the bill of rights mm-hmm. uh, the first amendment being about a free press and free uh, religion mm-hmm. that they have congress literally has no jurisdiction right they cannot and jurisdiction means um, juris meaning law okay. diction speak they can't speak on the matter legally. Okay, I didn't know that. That's interesting. And so, like, like in so in the case of the First Amendment, they can't speak on the matter of an, an establishment of religion. Right. They can't uh, in a free press. They they can't speak on that. But now there's like this uh, as a na- or as a culture. I wouldn't say as a nation. As a culture, we have been we've just accepted over a period of years that the press they're credentialed, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, it's these people that they talk on the TV. Yeah, so they must they must have some kind of authority or and they're recognized. Like if 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 you and I say, well, we're going to start a, a uh, journalism business mm-hmm. and we're going to ask questions, people are going to want to have our credentials. Well, what if I don't have credentials? Right. Why do I have to have credentials to ask you questions? Fair. Because what I want to do is write an article right. and publish it. Sure. So there's nothing that says I can't do it, and I should be doing that. Sure. But we have gravitated toward this uh, media conglomerate. That is, uh, this is what happened over a period of years where those are the only trusted people and anybody else, those are the, those yeah. are the weirdos. Do, do you think that's changing now? Because I, yes. I, there's a lot of independent news people on news people is like the dumbest way to say it. Journalists on like YouTube or, yeah. or things like that, that are actually truly what I would say are just actually reporting the news in a way that like matter of factly yeah. being like, this is what happened. Not, not, this is what this is not our version of what happened. This is this is just like what happened. Yeah, I'm going to report on it. I'm going to report on what happened, not my view of what happened, which is tends to be, you know, where those where those things in both like big news organizations like whether it's CNN or if it's Fox, like it's it's a, it's a motivated they're saying a thing specifically to either get your attention, you know, how many times have you clicked on a news link when you're like, what could this possibly be? And yeah. You read it and you're like, oh my God, come on, guys. It was a waste of time. Come on, this is the dumbest thing. But there are some people, I, th- I agree, I think it is changing is why I asked you. I yeah. think it is kind of, people are having much less trust in that particular, like CNN and all those kind of things because they know it's, I mean, it's incredibly biased no matter which way. I mean, bo- you could look at both sides of the coin and see that they're, you know, yeah. they're biased. So, and I appreciate the the neutrality of, of some of these newer people that are, doing some stuff like on YouTube or independent things. And there's a couple, I forget the name of it now, but there's like a website that you can actually like subscribe to journalists that you like. Right. And you can like read their stuff if you, you know, no matter what they're, they're a part of, but right. So, and and let me, let me offer this up though. There, there is no such thing as an unbiased view because you're always going to filter. There's always subjectivity that you're going to offer up, but the, the ones that you have to worry about, they're, ones that say, well, we're the unbiased ones. Those people over there, well, right. you know, clearly they're getting paid by so-and-so and right. that's a, that's a rich guy and you can't trust a rich guy. Like, well, wait a minute, who writes your checks? Right, right, right. There's right, one right, of right, six right. media, multimedia companies right. in the world that almost everything and almost everybody's owned by Reuters. Okay, by who? Reuters. Reuters. Yeah. 
And so, like, okay, so who's the biased one? Who's right? Um, so anyway, we're getting off topic. I apologize. Yeah. No, I it's good. It's good information. Hopefully, we didn't lose like all of our listeners. They're like, this guy asked some questions. <laughs> no, no, uh, about because we started going about a rabbit trail that I I love to talk about. But well, we save it for another episode. Yeah, I need to get some uh, uh, some feedback this on this. This is the kind of thing you want to hear because yeah. I love talking about. Yeah, it. I mean, I'm interested. So, um, so broken window fallacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I talked about it during that trivia question. I don't remember I, it specifically. Yeah, but so. So the broken window fallacy goes like this, and and what uh, Bastiat does is he describes a little a little scene that we can all relate to, but it you can extend it out to to other areas. Okay, and it goes like this: uh, a shopkeeper, he's got this tiny little shop, and a kid, an unruly kid, throws a rock, breaks the window, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's what is seen, and what happens is the um, the shopkeeper now has to repair that window. Mm-hmm. He has to pay somebody, a glazer, to come out and fix the window. He has to, somebody's got to produce the glass. A mm-hmm. uh, repairman comes out and actually reglazes the window, sets it in place. And then what the uh, someone that's bent towards the socialist thinking says, bingo, you just improved the economy. Okay. And so that's great. That is good news. Okay. Um, and, in fact... The New Deal, most of the New Deal was nothing more than broken window methodology. Okay. We're, we're going to take this, you know, we're going to dig some holes and dig some ditches and we're going to do these things. Uh-huh. And another team would come back and fill in those ditches and holes. But we're, it's Keynesian economics, uh, John Maynard Keynes, where I'm going to prime the pump of an economic engine. Okay. I'm going to pay some people to do some stuff. Um, but what's not seen is if that broken, or if that window had not been broken, mm-hmm. the shopkeeper, Let's say he was going to go out and buy a brand new suit. Mm-hmm, understand. And that new suit is now going to not going to get bought. Right. Uh, so it's the unseen effects of this broken window. So you can't rely on a destructive measure or a a measure that at at worst it's destructive, the broken window, or at best it's the um, uh, a neutral area. Um, uh, I'll come up with an example in a, in a minute here, but. But the Great Depression is a, a, the quintessential example of, well, so how did we get out of the Great Depression? Uh-huh. Applied to that broken window fallacy. A lot of folks will say, well, World War II got us out of uh, the Depression. Okay. Because now we, you know, all these things got destroyed and we built them back up. Right. And when we look at the data, um, without considering all of the factors, you could assume that that's a true statement. But that falls under, um, there's a uh, an informal logical fallacy called uh, post post hoc ergo propter hoc. Okay. Um, because of this, therefore, oh no, after this, therefore, because of that. Okay. So just because something happens after something else doesn't mean it was the cause. Okay. So um, every time I carry an umbrella into work, it rains. Does my umbrella, me carrying my umbrella, cause it to rain? Gotcha. No, it does not. Right. So that's a, a nice ridiculous example mm-hmm. of post hoc ergo propter hoc. Um, just because the depression ended, the great depression ended does not mean, um, after world war two, that does not mean that world war two was the reason for that. Makes sense. That makes sense. Now what, what did bring us out of that great depression was initially was, um, we had a workforce that was not mobilized, but then they got immediately mobilized Mm -hmm. and prepped for war. So you had a bunch of guys that didn't, they weren't getting, they had double digit inflation. Right. Um, 
and then now they're getting paid and it removed a lot of economic uncertainty okay. because now we're building and we're constructing and we're producing things. Specifically, it's like tool and die makers and, and people that were making bullets and guns and all these kind of right. trades for, for specifically for the purpose of, of building things for the war. Right. Okay. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the reasons why the U.S. was such an economic powerhouse, besides the fact of that, uh, that by our very nature, who settled uh, the United States and how it got built and our, um, our Constitution, um, if you think about it, the entire industrial world mm-hmm. was completely decimated during World War II. Right. And then we were about the only economic uh, industrial nation that was left standing. And so that's why we proliferated everywhere gotcha. and produced a lot of stuff why, very quickly. Why is that? Why were we the only, because we were in the middle of the industrial era? Because where World War II was fought in Europe and in Asia. Oh, makes sense. Well, yeah. that makes sense. That's yeah. easy enough to understand. So that was, uh, that was the big reason why there was this big shoot up. Sure. And we had a lot of productive people that were, you know, engaged when you go to war and you come back, you're like, well, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. I'm really excited yeah, about work. like, like a job. Yeah. 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 No one's shooting me. Yeah. yeah. This is much better. Yeah. yeah. This is much, much, much better. So, um, so a, a lot of how we got into that depression was, it's very interesting because when you look at the numbers, um, the that, and I, that when it was still a recession, if you will, twenty nine mm-hmm. uh, to thirty to thirty three, um, there was a contraction of, of banks mm-hmm. and of currency. So bank deposits and currency that were was in circulation by about a third. It contracted down a third. Down it okay. got was reduced. Gotcha. Um, and so who was in charge of that? Well, that was the Fed. Even though Congress is constitutionally liable to, they're responsible rather to. Uh, coin and mint money, mm-hmm. and set the value of that money. Okay, but they delegate that to the Fed. The Fed, um, and uh, that's a that's a good Ron Paul topic right there. Um, but at no point did the could the Fed have were they not in a position position where they could have changed that. Okay, and then after uh, you know after thirty three, that's when the New Deal starts mm-hmm. in earnest, uh, the Smoot Hawley um, tariffs were incurred and inflation the tariffs were um we'll have to save that for another okay, time we'll for another time yeah so it was congress trying to do something okay and what they did they did was very bad okay uh, basically that's that's the thing that bastiat warns about is like taxing sure uh increasing taxes to try to solve this problem well what it does is it discourages certain things sure it discourages trade yeah yeah it makes sense um so, uh, so we'll talk about Smoot Hawley and maybe the depression in another another episode. That's a great topic. Um, but the um, uh, forget where I was going with that. But so, um, double digit inflation mm-hmm. after Smoot Hawley and after the New Deal starts, and it did not go back down until the run up to World War II. Okay. So we were in double digit inflation, just floating around. Uh, we had these reduced number of banks, reduced number of currency, reduced number of bank deposits. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a disaster. And right. then that's that's how we got out of World War II. It was not um, these constructive acts following destructive acts of World War II that got us saying. out. I understand what yeah. you're saying. Okay, that makes sense. That's very interesting. Because I think if you talk to most people, they would say that, the, the you know, World War II is the reason we got out of the Great Depression. Like, just like it's a matter-of-factly kind of statement. Right. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a nuanced thing, um, but it wasn't the destructive act. And, and you can point to that broken window fallacy sure. 
as and it's a very clear example of how we how we um, can can fall into that trap where it sounds like oh well it's good for the economy if yeah if this uh, you know this guy's window gets broken this this one aspect but then you're losing value and so when you look at the you know a free market the idea of a free market is it gets blamed a lot for a lot of economic ills the free market sure uh, capitalism yeah I understand. But a free market, a truly free market, doesn't have a press agent mm-hmm. at all. They don't have a media conglomerate that, that's looking out for their interests. The free market is truly free, right? And it's the free exchange of goods and services uh, for our mutual benefit, right? I pay you to to uh, scrub my my uh, driveway, right? And you're producing something that I want. We agree on that price, mm-hmm. and both of us are happy at the end of it, right? But if someone says, like an HOA says, well. Adam, you got to have a, a clean driveway, and here's our driveway cleaner. You got to pay him. Yeah. Why, what if I don't want to? Right, right, right. And and now I've got to fork over money to you, and of course you're not going to work your hardest. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's time after time you can see these socialist, uh, these examples of socialist ideas, right? That permeate. That sound like a good idea. This false philanthropy, right? That that in the end just lead to totalitarianism. It's interesting that like um, competition is like generally like what is driving that and that people that don't like competition are always the people that are like, let's just set one price for everybody. But my dad would tell me like back, like when he was younger, it's like they had like gas wars to be like, who can have the cheapest gas prices as like a competition. Like, and that's kind of the way everything is, is like, um, and every, every job or anything you do, you're always looking at somebody that can do it. You know, you are, if your goal is to buy something, you're trying to buy the highest quality, whatever for the lowest possible price. And it's like a, it's like a, you know, that is essentially what it is. Cause you get the option to choose between many people and you'd be like, oh, man, you know, I'm working with three other guys and their prices are this. If, right. you, if you were this, you know, we can work together. Um, so part of it is like not, not wanting competition, but that's what makes it fun. Like that's right. part, That's why there's some people that like to go car shopping and some people that do not, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Cause you're, essentially especially before the internet and there was prices like you you would go in to a to a car salesman and there were guys that were like i love this i'm gonna get the best price on this car i'm gonna right. beat this guy and that car salesman's like i'm gonna get the most you know my bonus whatever right um so it's like an interesting thought that i was just having as you were talking about that it's like just purely competition like free market just you know it promotes maybe this is wrong it promotes the people that are hardworking very competitive to like rise up and make something of themselves versus if you're not that way, it's going to be much harder for you to succeed. Yeah. Kind of situation. And it's been tried so many times to do one and then the other, and you can compare one country to another. You compare different groups uh, that have tried the same, you know, different ways of doing the same thing. Right. One that is quote unquote fair socialism. Right. And one that is kind of a dog eat dog. uh, May the best man win type of mindset. And what improves time and time again, that's proven, um, the free market mm. is always superior, sure. always been demonstrated yeah. to be superior. There's been a, um, there was an economist and he did one of those visual, uh, maybe we can find this and maybe uh, when I post it to, when we post this to YouTube, link to this oh, guy's sure, video. Yeah. But he talks about the history of the world um, and the poverty level of just your average person right. over time. And then when, uh, you know, when the, especially the United States, when it comes on the scene and in how that um, small D democracy takes takes foot mm-hmm. and these uh, 
monarchies disappear. Mm-hmm. They get overthrown through World War One and World War Two. The economic uh, improvement mm-hmm. for everybody, poverty goes down, people's health improves. Sure. Um, everyone gets better off. Mm-hmm. Um, and John Kennedy had a, uh, a, a great quote about it. A rising tide lifts all boats, and that's exactly what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It lifts all boats, and right. you could you can argue that, well, this would be more fair if we did it this way, but but fair to whom? Right. And who are these better angels that we have in government? Right. That are not necessarily interested in Adam Mauser's economic interests or Dusty Labar's economic right. interests that are now going to tell us how we have to spend our money. Right. And that's where it gets dangerous. And these better angels, they never exist. In fact, what you find are uh, some greedy people gravitate towards government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, there was like, I mean, there's a lot. We could talk about this as its own episode, but um, like just stuff like that, like governmental. Oh, yeah. But somebody was talking, I heard that, you know, some people don't think that it's fair for for somebody like Elon Musk to have so much money. Um. The counter argument to that is he probably is one of the smartest people in the world. Mm -hmm. And because of his extreme work ethic and unrelenting desire to innovate, that he makes the world better. Yes. So, well, yeah. So the the question is, is like, does he deserve that money? And, but, but he works, you know, and creates and sends as a private company, sends rockets into space and does like crazy things like that. So there has to be people like him. To raise the bar, right? In my opinion, this is Dusty talking. Yeah, you're spot on. So, you know, does is it right that he is it fair that he makes that he has fifty billion dollars? I mean, fair to who? I mean, is it right? It's fair. I mean, it's if you think about all the stuff that he's done, like he created. <clears throat> maybe you'll agree. Twenty five years ago, you'd be like, an electric car doesn't make any sense. You can't have one that makes sense. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. It won't run long enough. It won't be this. It won't do this. It won't do this. And he pretty much did that. Right. He figured out how to do it through trial and error and lots of money and all this and people kind of are stuff. buying them and people still buy it. Yeah. But also, which is this free market thing. It's definitely caused other car manufacturers to step the game up right. and make their cars and their electric cars more efficient, better, you know, run better, run longer, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's what I like about that. Like the free market in general is that guy, like you can't outwork that guy. I don't think. No. So, and so the people that you cannot work, those crazy people that won't stop working and need to innovate, that's, that's how we have all this awesome stuff. Like that's how, why we have phones and that's yeah. why we have all this crazy cool stuff that we all take for granted. Um, so I think that's super important and which is why when people, it's like upsetting to hear people be like, well, we should redistribute wealth. So everybody well, the lazy people are still going to be lazy, right. but you're de-incentivizing the really, the really like the go-getters to not do that stuff because there's not a. There's not a benefit. Like right now, if you want to create something, there's a benefit to that. Right. Because you can run off with it and you can be whatever. You can be Elon Musk or whatever. So, what, And one, one thing on that, um, very innovative, but someone like that also is willing to take risk. Correct, yes. And it's his risk that he's taking by whatever it is that he's doing right. and whatever it is he's, he's done. Uh, he's accepted the risk that if it fails, I'm going to be out of everything. Sure. I'm, my whole life is in this company or these companies right and now i've lost that and any entrepreneur they know that better than anybody else about something that they start there's the risk that i'm going to lose it and i'm going to lose it all every bit of it Mm -hmm. um and so willing to accept risk and that's where the the socialists will will miss that little nuance and it's 
probably one of the biggest things. Yeah, I think it, I think you're 100 percent correct. I don't I don't know if you could talk to a successful entrepreneur that hasn't taken a risk that's like scary, like incredibly scary, because he he basically like he like Elon. I'll just use him as an example. But he bought Twitter, which yeah. could be you know it could be like thirty million thirty billion dollars totally down the drain. Right. But he thought it can be this. He thinks it could be something better, so he's taking a huge risk where nobody else is willing to. Everybody was just going to complain about it and just move on, but he's willing to take that risk. So I think that's, you know, that's super important. Yeah. So, but like you said, that's when you said like um, the saying that a rising tide rise all ships. That's what I was thinking of. Like he, like if you have somebody that's like that, it does raise the bar for everybody to like compete with. Absolutely. Which makes us, which makes things better. Right. And you're even like somebody dumb like me. I get cool stuff. Right. In my daily life, because somebody like him has taken a huge risk, you know, whatever it may be, you know, my phone or, you know, whatever it is, whatever kind of cool technology that I have or a car that I buy that's a hybrid or whatever I buy, mm-hmm. you know, because somebody has taken a risk and, and taken a shot at it. So, right. So I don't know if that's on par with with the broken window fallacy, but it makes well, sense. Well, it, it, it's all tied. <laughs> it's all uh, cut from the same cloth sure. of there's this intersection of economics and law that's extremely interesting, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of effect in it. And it, 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 these are things that um, that are connected, but a lot of times we get told that they're not connected, disassociated from the you know those unseen effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and it might be to suit an agenda. It might be out of ignorance. We don't know what yeah. it is. Uh, I'm not here to say that on this podcast. Maybe another episode. Yeah. But um, but at any rate, that's they are connected, and it's something to think about. Yeah. So um, so that's all I had for uh, for broken window fallacy. It was more about Frederick Bastiat, but broken window fallacy sounds it's, a whole lot sexier. It's it's sexier, but it's very fascinating. Yeah. I was I was really fascinated, especially just some of the little nuanced things you said today, which would um, even I'm embarrassed to admit, but like the Second Amendment, the way you described it, is not the way I would have explained it to somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, even like something when you tie it into that is very interesting or just that, you know, the three inalienable, right? In, inalienable? Inalienable. Inalienable rights that we have. Um, so it was very interesting to me. Oh, good. Thanks. I, yes, hope, uh, I hope the listeners enjoyed it. Well, until next time. Yeah, until next time. Mishmash men. M cubed. M cubed. Have a good day, everybody. See you next week.